Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for December 14th, 2023. Have the markets gone too far in pricing and rate cuts? The Federal Reserve Open Market Committee just wrapped up its last policy meeting for the year. As widely anticipated, Fed officials kept the target for the Fed funds rate unchanged. But the primary focus was on the Fed's updated guidance regarding the prospective path for policy rates in 2024. The guidance came via changes to the policy statement, the updated macro and interest rate projections, and Chairman Powell's press conference. This is Brian Kirk, and with me today we have Nationwide's Chief Economist, Kathy Bostancic, and Head of Enterprise Portfolio Management, Leo Sabota. Kathy, Leo, thank you so much for joining us today. Kathy, let's start with you first. You got a chance to watch the press conference yesterday. What were some of the key takeaways from what you heard uh, Chairman Powell say? Well, thanks, Brian. Um, well, I, I think notably it was a very dovish um, uh, guidance that we got from the Federal Reserve, both in terms of um, their updated interest rate projections, that's most notable, but also Chairman Powell's press conference um, really did not push back very much on the very um, strong rally we've seen in the bond market over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, while the Fed's updated um, so-called dot plot estimate, which is the representation of where they think the Fed funds rate will be over the next few months, uh, few years, um, uh, was um, not as uh, low as the markets have, have priced in right now. Um, the reality is it, it, it led the markets to rally more because it kind of gave some credence to the fact that they will be cutting rates as inflation um, declines um, next year. And um, again, when you look at their rate projections, um, for instance, for 2024, they now see the Fed funds rate, at least the median estimates of the FOMC members at 4.6%. In September, that was at 5.1%. But what's notable is that they see at least three 25 basis point rate cuts um, occurring next year. Now, again, the markets have run even further beyond that, um, and and we ourselves have a a lower uh, rate path than that. But the key is that they've given some support um, to this idea that they are um, very, I think, very pleased with the progress on inflation and think it's going to continue. Um, and that will allow them to, to cut rates. And then if you look into 2025, their median interest rate forecast um, calls for another reduction of uh, one full percentage point, so down to 3.6%. Um, in terms of inflation outlook, uh, they did shave uh, their core inflation number, which is what we pay the most attention to. They they shaved core PCE inflation to 2.4. It was 2.6%. Uh, previously, and they now see headline inflation um, getting to 2.1% by 2025. So essentially, you're getting back to target by then. They're hedging themselves a little bit because they're sort of acknowledging inflation's been sticky and it's still elevated. Um, but this is um, you know, a better inflation forecast from the Fed, um, a lower uh, rate path, and and Chairman Powell uh, followed it up in the press conference, and and really sounded quite dovish on the whole. Um, obviously, I think they don't want to fuel 
further um, movements in the bond market, uh, but I think they, they had to acknowledge that there's very good progress on inflation. They think it's going to continue. Um, in the policy statement, they inserted a word, uh, any, um, and whenever they take or remove even one single word, it can be very meaningful. Um, and then what they said is there uh, now that the extent of any additional uh, policy firming um, instead of just additional policy firming. So what that implies is uh, that they don't think it's likely that they'll have to raise rates again, and, and the forecasts um, bear that out. Well, thank you, Kathy. Now, more about that then, the updated guidance that they provided. How does that align or how does it line up with the outlook you have for the uh, economy and inflation and interest rates? Yeah, so in terms of the macro forecast, it lines up uh, pretty closely on, on the inflation front, frankly, um, in line with our view that, yes, inflation is going to continue to steadily and gradually improve. Um, in fact, when we look at dig into the numbers and you look at core services um, and you look at the super core number that Chairman Powell has uh, directed us to look at, a lot of the upward pressure is really in the transportation sector. You know, away from that, service inflation has actually um, behaved quite nicely here. Um, now, the labor market is still strong and wage growth is, is still higher. Uh, than they desired. He, you know, he made a, a note of that. You know, wages running four percent. They'd be more comfortable. It was down to three and a half, but you know, still good progress there. Um, in terms of the GDP forecast, where we differ from the Fed is that we still see a, a mild recession in the cars for next year. Uh, if you look at their forecast, they have growth slowing to uh, below what they would say is potential. So it's it's around you know 1.4, 1.5% growth for next year. Um, potential growth, they think, is, is somewhere between 1 and 8, 2%. Um, we think there's a mild recession. We do think even with the Fed cutting rates, um, the policy is still too restrictive. And we see evidence in the labor market that we're seeing a, a slowing in the cyclical sectors of the economy and of and employment. Uh, and we think that's going to continue. Um, but again, it's a mild recession. Um, at most, we see the unemployment ri rising to about 5%. So that's another area where we differ from the Fed. Uh, they have a, a low 4% projection. In terms of rate cuts and uh, projections, and maybe that that's really the biggest focus for the financial markets, um, we are, are more aggressive uh, in our forecast, thinking the Federal Reserve can cut rates um, more than a percent, actually, for, for next year. And we see uh, the Fed funds rate uh, falling to between four and, and four and a quarter. Uh, right now, it's five and a quarter to five and a half percent. Um, the markets actually have run even further beyond that. I'm sure Leo will, will comment on that. Um, but I think the Fed, it doesn't surprise me that the Federal Reserve didn't want to go as far as we forecast or the markets because they're still they're just starting to talk about rate cuts the timing and the degree and honestly i think they're going to try to be a little bit more hesitant and and make sure that inflation really is going the way they want and ultimately want to get back to two percent so the last thing they want to do is is be too exuberant cut rates very quickly or indicate that and then inflation stalls out the improvement stalls out and, we, and they don't actually get back to two percent well, that's a good time to bring in Leo then. Leo, thanks again for joining us in today's podcast. Um, you know, we, we know you're watching things really closely. So how has the bond market reacted to the Fed's latest guidance? And 
looking ahead next year, what is the market pricing in regarding the timing and the extent of the Fed rate hikes that we could see next year? And what's your view on the likely path for that policy rate? Uh, well, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me, and thanks, Kathy, for the invitation to join the podcast. Um, the initial reaction to the FOMC announcement was really a significant rally in the bond market. You saw two-year rates uh, you know, currently trading in about 28 basis points tighter than they were prior to the announcement, uh, 10-year rates in 17 basis points. And a lot of that is, as Kathy had mentioned, the market was way ahead of the Fed. I mean, the Fed had effectively no cuts for 24 in the uh, summary of economic projections that was out in, I guess it would have been September that the last one came out. Uh, and the market's been running, you know, sort of five to six hikes priced since then. So the market was maybe looking for two cuts to come into the SEP today. Uh, you kind of cleanly have three if you're looking at the median projection. So the market's adjusting a little bit to that. Um, you know, we talk a lot about sort of what that means and, and how you square the circle of very tight credit spreads, you know, depending on how you slice it sort of at best case fair, worst case sort of rich equity valuations. And, you know, right now, you know, if you look at on Bloomberg, you know, almost six hikes, excuse me, six cuts uh, fully priced into the Fed funds curve. And, you know, there's some cognitive dissonance in there. Uh, you know, for one, um, you know, for all those things to be right, you have to have this soft landing narrative come to pass with what some people on the street are referring to as you know, an immaculate disinflation. So uh, the Fed is very confident that inflation gets down to uh, their 2% target. They engage in some maintenance cuts because they don't feel that they have to keep policy as restrictive as they have. Uh, and that happens without a meaningful deterioration in economic activity. So the current pricing in, in spreads and equities, uh, you know, remains where it is or doesn't uh, weaken significantly from here. If you look at the historical record, there are no real historical parallels for that ever actually happening. Uh, so generally, when the Fed does cut, they cut you know in the face of a recession, they cut much more aggressively than ends up being that has, was previously priced into the market. That's accompanied by not insignificant widening of spreads and, and uh, sell-off in equity markets. So what's really priced in the market today, uh, and what's being priced both. You know, by the rate market and by risk assets is something that we haven't really seen before. Uh, and the view on the floor is generally that the risk to that is to the downside. Uh, you'd really have to see much better economic performance uh, in the face of what's priced in in order to realize significant excess returns from here. Uh, and if you're just, again, going back to the historical record, that doesn't really, we don't have a good analog for that. So we're more inclined to be uh, a little bit more cautious in the face of what's currently priced into the market. Well, thank you, Leo. Long-term Treasury yields have fallen back to around 4%. What's your outlook for the 10-year Treasury note yield in 2024? And will the spreads for corporate bond bonds remain very narrow versus Treasury rates next year? And how significant are the refinancing pressures for corporations in the coming year? So there are a number of countervailing forces that are, are sort of at play here. Um, and we talk a lot about the fact that we generally view where we're going structurally in the economy to be a pretty different paradigm from where we've been in the 10 years, uh, or I guess, you know, 
15 years post-GFC. Uh, there are demographic trends, there are uh, policy trends, whether it's related to uh, the energy transition that we're going to be experiencing, a nearshoring that's been uh, in the press, that we think sort of structurally pushes inflation up, uh, introduces term premium into the Treasury market. Um, so we do feel as though rates should be higher, uh, to say nothing of the fact that you have significant Treasury issuance that's expected uh, coming into 2024 after uh, in 2023 was what was effectively negative net treasury issuance. Uh, that being said, that's a longer-term structural view, and certainly if we were to see a recession materialize in 2024, we would expect rates to come in maybe not as far as what the market is currently pricing, uh, but certainly lower than the 4% that we have here for, for some period of time at, at, in the 10-year point. Corporate spreads are... are you know, certainly a different animal today. We look at where they are right now. Uh, they're trading at very, very tight levels. Um, you know, break-evens on corporate spreads are, depending on your measure, sort of 14 basis points, 20 basis points. So not a lot of cushion uh, for adding that risk into your portfolio. But we do have different initial conditions than we have had uh, before previous crises. So corporates are operating with very strong balance sheets. Um, they did a lot of liability management in 20 and 21, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, There's certainly parts of the market that look a little bit riskier. There's been so much fuel uh, to risk assets from LBOs supported by private credit. That model is, you know, maybe not broken, but certainly uh, limping a little bit with where the front end rates are today. Uh, and we, we certainly saw, you know, declining covenants uh, and sort of the issues with you know, weak hands sitting in the uh, syndicated loan market. So there are certain pockets of stress that we think could be out there uh, in the credit markets. But if you're thinking about spreads broadly, other than this risk of recession that's in there, the other thing that you have is there are there, there's an a supply-demand interplay between treasury issuance and, and corporate bond issuance. So we talked about the liability management that had happened uh, in 20 and 21. Uh, what that means, this gets to a, sort of the other part of your question, Brian, there are not significant maturities really anywhere in the high-yield market or the IG market uh, in 2024 or really in 2025. You know, when you consider that the co combined sort of BSL and high yield market is about a $3 trillion market. Uh, in 2024, there's about you know, $80 million of maturity, $80 billion, excuse me, uh, of maturities that are going to be happening uh, in 2024, and then another $300 billion of maturities that are going to be happening in 2025. So you're you know, somewhere in the 11% you know, range over the next two years. Uh, and there's a lot that could happen between now and then that could create more favorable conditions for banks or uh, for borrowers to end up uh, adjusting their liabilities further. Uh, and similarly, in the IG market, I mean, there's really no meaningful maturity walls that, that we see coming over the next two years. So what that really means is that you're not expecting to see a great deal of issuance in those markets, uh, and you're not expecting to see a significant number of issuers come under refinancing stress over the next two years. In the face of that, with large treasury issuance, it creates this supply-demand dynamic where spreads may stay tight or certainly tighter than we've seen historically where there's been uh, stress in the economy because there just isn't 
any corporate supply out there for people to buy or any corporate supply coming into market that's being uh, crowded out by treasury issuance. Yeah, I was just, you know, I picking up a little bit on, on what Leo said and just looking at the uh, the movement in, in the uh, equity market here, it looks like we, we continue to climb higher. So, um, you know, it, to your point that maybe corporate bond spreads are, are narrower than they normally would be because of, as you said, the liability management, the maturities are later on, uh, not a lot of issuance relative to treasury debt because actually the one balance sheet that doesn't look great is the fiscal balance sheet, right? Yeah. Um, but yet at the same time, you know, we see the equity market, you know, continuing to run and looks like we're approaching like the, the highs of, of January 2022. I was caught by your, your comment about this disconnect, right, between the risk for the economy. And I think you see it as, as we do that there's a risk on the downside. So, you know, it, it seems like the it not only is the bond market getting ahead of itself, maybe it's the equity market that continues to get ahead of itself. And I, I know that you know that's not your your sole focus you're really focused on fixed income um but wondering you know do you worry a little bit about like the the feedback loop um and how that would affect bond yields like let's just say that um if the equity market starts to lose some of its wind it may not it may continue to go up despite our calls for recession um but if it did with that you know would you see those flows come back to the treasury market because yields are still high or I'm just curious what your your thoughts on that or if it affects your thinking at all. It's definitely an interesting question. Uh, It's certainly a conversation that we're having and I think the starkest place that we're having it right now is and not just nationwide but certainly the broader asset allocation community if you're looking at any of the the press that's out there. Uh, and they're talking about a lot in the context of kind of private credit versus private equity. So that's where um, it's a little bit starker, but also it's a more obvious trade-off but for the players rather than kind of listed equity versus corporate bonds where, you know, in my view at least, you have real dedicated fixed income investors and uh, credit and whether it's sort of earlier savers or people with different risk profiles sort of going into the equity side of the, of the trade. Um, you know, there is absolutely a feedback loop. The question in my mind is sort of who starts it, right? So on the equity side, it's, a, it's an income conversation. So do we see disinflation uh, pressuring top line and in the face of all the wage pressures that we've seen, uh, does that ultimately impact margins uh, on the equity side? Uh, and similarly, you know, but then the question is sort of what's the pass through for that back to uh, corporate bonds? If you don't have significant financing spreads, if your interest coverage levels are still pretty good, uh, you know, maybe there isn't an, a, a large risk transfer that happens back into the corporate bond market. What I do think, and I'm going to emphasize this is my opinion, (laughs) uh, is that what's happened in sort of this sort of private debt, private equity ecosystem uh, is that if you, you one thing that's happened for sure is financing conditions are much tighter for private companies. Uh, If you consider how much of private equity activity is financed by private credit, uh, and so much of that is floating rate, uh, it makes it very difficult to sort of pile leverage onto a, 
particular deal that you're going to do, uh, especially with valuations where they are. So you know, one of a couple things or some combination of things could happen in various companies or, or in the market as a whole. One is uh, you know, companies could end up having to go into restructuring. You could see private equity sponsors walk away from more kind of cuspier companies in their portfolios. Uh, or you could see private equity sponsors have to come in and put more equity into their deals, whether at inception or as a way to close the financing gap because they're not able to generate uh, such high returns at you know, punitive credit levels. Um, again, I, I think that those two markets, uh, you tend to have very sophisticated players who are reasonably well aligned with their uh, investor bases. Um, so I, I don't think you're going to see, you tend to I think what that means is that you have generally sort of stronger hands, so it's unlikely that you see a rush for the exits, and I don't see it as being something that's uh, that's systemic. But if you think about uh, sort of points of tension in the system, I think that's that's one of them. And again, because of where those financing rates are for private debt, you do have a lot of people having the conversation now where they say, well, why do I want to take equity risk uh, you know, in my liquid portfolio when I could take shorter duration, higher yield exposure uh, in my in my private credit portfolio. I don't know if that actually answered your question. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it, it's no, it, it's great to bring that in because you're right. It's a, it's a broader portfolio that yeah. you're looking at. We Even in the retail sector, it's yeah. not just institutional retail. You're looking at alternative assets. You're looking private equity, private debt. So yeah, it does maybe just that trade off between equity and bonds. It's not just about yeah. that anymore, right? There's other yeah. alternatives. So but you, I think I, that but makes do, a lot of sense. You, you do see some of that now, certainly in the way people are thinking about what they want to do with their cash. So you look at flows into money market funds this year, which have uh, you know sort of outpaced flows into more or less anything else. As people have seen uh, much more attractive rates in you know short end Fed paper than in you know, corporate bonds or uh, longer term treasuries, something like that. Uh, I think that there's also potentially some uh, you know to the extent people have sort of lived in this 60-40 world with. Uh, it's been really well supported by a low rate environment. Uh, you know, maybe people think about different portfolio mixes when you know the base rate that you're looking at is significantly higher than sort of the two percent ten year Treasury world that we were living in uh, for the last ten years. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And you know, maybe it's for a future podcast, but but it'll be interesting to see and think about. As you said, if there's cash on the sidelines and it's in the money market, where do they go when the Fed does start to cut rates? Yeah. Um, and how quickly does it do, do people start to reallocate and yeah. where? Right. So maybe for a future podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Hey, uh, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Kathy, Leo, thank you so much for a great discussion on yesterday's FOMC meeting, the final one of the year. In fact. To our audience, this is going to be our last podcast for 2023, but please join us again in January as we will talk about our 2024 economic and financial market outlook. So we'll be watching to see when a recession could start and how bad or how moderate it could be. Also, we'll look at uh, when the Fed could lower interest rates again. And until then, we hope everyone here has a great um, holiday season. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year to everyone here. Please subscribe as we have our podcast start up again in 2024. And when you subscribe, you'll be notified when each new episode is released. Until then, 
For Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide Inn and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023, Nationwide.